0: Go ahead and turn to Galatians if you have your Bible. If you have a device, we use the English Standard Version, the ESV. So go ahead and turn there. Again, we're starting a 13-week series through the book of Galatians. This will take us right up uh, to the end of November. And then we are going to do a four-week series through the entire Bible. We'll talk about that later. Um, But that will be our Advent series. But we're going to be going through Galatians from now through November. So turn to Galatians 1. When you think of the word authentic, what usually comes to mind, I'm not asking, I'm just telling you what usually comes to mind, uh, is something real, something that's not an imitation. Melissa and I were laughing because as we're sort of thinking about the Christmas season coming up, um, what we used to have to do in California, which it's embarrassing to even tell you this, but what we used to have to do because the weather just perpetually stays like in the 80s, I know, don't hate us. But that's where it's at, right? So what we would do on those days when we wanted it to feel like Christmas is we would wait for it, we'd crank the air conditioning so that we could have a fire, so that we could actually enjoy the heat from the fire. It's ridiculous. (laughs) But we used to do that, right? We used to do that because what we didn't experience there was what we experience here, which is an authentic uh, winter. It lacks authenticity, over there, when you think of winter, and you think of Christmas trees, and, and logs, and fire, and food, and presents, and coziness, and all the stuff that I equate with Christmas it doesn't exist there, it lacks authenticity. I remember another thing that happened um, that really was life-changing for me, by the way, the first thing I just said was kind of life-changing for me, is what I mean, um, but I remember the first time i had actually heard what um, I would refer to as a gospel-centered sermon. Now, I had grown up in churches that that preached the gospel, um, but the first time I ever heard just a fully immersed gospel-centered sermon where everything goes back to Jesus, where everything promotes the glory of Christ. I remember the first time I heard one of those, my wife and I, we were just like, we were like, what was that? Like, what was that? We walked away and we were so encouraged and we were also so convicted and bummed out. Like simultaneously, it was like happy-sad. Right, Like not knowing what to feel, but just knowing we're going back next week because that's what we want to hear. That's all we want to hear. Because why? Because it was authentic. It was an authentic sermon because it preached the text. It preached what the author was actually trying to write rather than some dude up there just saying what he wanted the people to hear that he felt good about. And that's what we attempt to do here. And so... Uh, This is interesting as we're going into the letter of Galatians because really the the, the first nine verses are going to set us up for the entire book, which is about getting to this idea of what is the gospel and what is the authentic gospel. And Paul kind of unpacks it for the rest of his letter in these first nine verses. And the occasion for Paul's letter uh, to churches, again, that were in this province called Galatia, was that he needed to address some issues that had come to his attention mainly that some men had risen up and they started convincing the churches in Galatia, the Galatians, of two things. Number one, that Paul didn't really have the authority to claim the things that he said, that he was an imposter, that he was just somebody that put himself in the company of all these other apostles and disciples, but that he wasn't really the real deal. And the second thing... um, that these men were trying to convince these churches of was that the gospel that Paul preached, the gospel that Christians are justified by belief in Jesus Christ alone for salvation wasn't enough. Like just preaching that wasn't enough. What they were saying, what they were throwing out there was that you also needed to be circumcised in accordance with Jewish law. Don't worry, we're going to keep this thing G-rated all the way through the book. But that's what they were throwing at the Galatians. And so the book of Galatians essentially is about a group of churches that had once tasted the authenticity of the true gospel. But now they were being tempted to add something to it, which meant, as we're going to see here in a second, that it wasn't really the gospel at all. Now, uh, some of you, I don't know how many of you, I don't know how this is going to hit with you, but uh, some of you, how many of you have had Poncho's Tacos? Right? Yeah, a few of you had ponchos, tacos. So, but oh my gosh, man. That's, Michelle, that's Michelle's step. Nobody's more enthusiastic about ponchos than Michelle. So here's the thing, all right? And I, this is going to sound horrible and snobbish, but I'm just going to roll out with it, all right? Once you've had ponchos, when you go back to Taco Bell, all right, it's just, uh, it's just an interesting experience. After that, once you've tasted what's authentic to go back to Taco Bell, you go, I know I'm eating something, but it ain't Mexican food, right? (laughs) Now, all right, we all love a little Taco Bell. It's okay. This is not to be like that guy, right? To to kill everybody's Taco Bell consumption that probably 85% of you guys are going to be doing after we leave the warehouse today. It's cool. It's cool. Keep, stay with Taco Bell. But once you've had the real thing, you are able to more clearly articulate when something false comes into view or something false that you've tasted and related to tacos, for example. So the problem here as we begin this book is that the Galatians started believing who Paul calls these troublemakers, and they were in process actually of deserting the actual gospel that had been given to them by Paul. They were accepting what we might call a Jesus plus something gospel. And I'm going to use that line a lot today, the Jesus plus something gospel. So for those of us that need a little refresher course on Paul, well, who, who is this Paul guy? Well, originally Paul was called Saul of Tarsus. He was a Pharisee, which means he was a religious leader. He, he guided the Jewish people in all of the Jewish laws. He kept all of the Jewish laws. He taught the Jewish laws. He adhered to everything that the Jewish law, plus had required of him, and his mission actually became to destroy this new group of religious renegades that were called Christians, who were actually part of this establishment that was called The Way, right? So his mission had become, I need to get rid of these Christians that are saying actually that the Jewish law is not what saves a person because of this character Jesus that showed up on the scene and then left, right? So what happened to Paul was that he was on his way to a town called Damascus, And Jesus visited him on the road. And Jesus said, uh, Paul, seriously, why are you persecuting me? You're not just murdering and attacking Christians, you're murdering and attacking me. And in that moment, Paul was regenerated. His heart was changed by the true gospel, by the living life of Jesus Christ who visited him on that path and brought him from darkness to life. Paul's conversion is like our conversion. We were once in darkest night until we found the way because Jesus is the one that presented himself to us. So after that, Paul uh, got training, and years later he starts a ministry to the Gentiles. We would be considered Gentiles, non-Jewish people. So Paul just begins this massive movement to the Gentiles, plants churches, and he ends up planting a bunch of churches in the region here of Galatia. And then after he leaves, this is what's happening now with these churches. Some men have crept in, and they're starting to try to change and to stir the doctrine that these Galatian churches had received from Paul and things were getting mixed up and funny. So this is where we pick up in verse 1. So you can follow along with me. Number, Verse 1 here, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom the glory, be the glory forever and ever. Let's just stop right there for right now. So Paul, what he's doing right here as an introduction is he's pulling no punches. And this is what we love about Paul. He pulls no punches in his introduction, which we're going to unpack a little bit. He says, Paul, an apostle, right? He describes himself immediately to the Galatians. He's not a guy who just loved reminding his people of his title and vocation. That's not what's going on here. Now, apostle, what the word means is it means messenger or it means sent. And in Paul's context, right, it meant that he was a person who had seen Jesus after Jesus' resurrection and was commissioned directly by Jesus to preach the gospel. So what that means is that when Paul spoke, he was speaking the very words of God. He had authority direct from Jesus to speak the words of God, and the people that listened to Paul needed to receive that as if God was talking. Now, you might be thinking, aren't there men called by God to speak his words now well, yeah, there, there's, there's pastors and preachers, men that we might call small, small A with quotes, with bunny ears, uh, apostles, who are, who are called by God. But the call comes from God through other men. And these other men affirm their call to serve the church with the gifts God has given them. It's, it's a legit call, right? But it's not received through direct verbal commissioning from God Himself. Now, here's what I mean by that. I recently became ordained with our denomination, the, the Evangelical Free Church of America, right? I did this a few weeks ago. It was brutal. Uh, part of the process was that, uh, and you'll see what I'm talking about right now, part of the process was that I had to sit, sit down before a council of 20 men and women and defend a 40-page document that I wrote, and the whole process only took five hours, right? It was short. It was no big deal. It was not my best life now right? If I can just put it to you guys that way. So uh, after the council, you know, after that, after that whole, you know, occasion, um, they kicked me out of the room and they discussed everything that was spoken and all the questions that I answered. And they eventually affirmed my call as a preacher and a practitioner of the gospel uh, represented and backed by the Evangelical Free Church of America. Now, look, uh, Jesus was undoubtedly in our presence if he hadn't been I don't know how I would have gotten through that thing, to be quite honest. Um, but, but let me just clear it up like this, right, given what we're speaking about. He wasn't sitting in the flesh at the council questioning me on matters of church doctrine and biblical theology. Right? Jesus was not in the flesh present there. He didn't, he didn't choose turkey over roast beef at lunch and like lay out next steps for me. Right? He, he, he didn't do that. So what Paul is saying here and what's happening is that Paul's authority and his apostleship, it came straight from Jesus Christ. It came straight from God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. This is confirmed in Acts chapter 1, verse 2, when we are told that Jesus had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. And then in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, it speaks specifically of, of Paul's commissioning, God said that Paul was His chosen instrument to carry His name before the Gentiles. All right, so what we have here is Paul making a defense by saying, "Hey, before you question my call," and he's going to get more into that. He's saying, "Let me remind you that it did not come from men or through man, like that Yahoo Ronnie Martin. If he would have, like, if I would have been his contemporary, right?" It came from God the Son and God the Father who raised God the Son from the dead. There's the authority that got passed to Paul. Paul is saying, this is the gospel foundation I am speaking from with that authority. And by the way, this is our authority too. This is why we believe Paul's words were breathed out by God. This is why we believe Paul's words just like Paul is encouraging and commanding the Galatians to believe his words as well. Let's pick up in verse 6. He says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, on on one hand, this kind of sounds like a nice greeting from Paul, and it is. It's fine. It's nice, right? But Paul intends this to be more than just sort of this introductory blessing or the way that you would write a letter and tell somebody how glad you are to be writing them and how encouraged you are by your friendship, right? Right? It's intended to be a wake-up call to remind these brothers that the gospel that was preached to them is authentic only when it contains the ingredients of grace and peace and by grace meaning that God sent Jesus according to his own will who then gave himself to us so that we might have peace with God so grace means God does the work and peace with God is the result so what that looks like for us to bring it in is that right now you are breathing in the air of peace because God said, Ethan Crumlick, by grace, I will save you. Kathy Long, by grace, I will save you. That's what he said. That's the work they did. The only thing you brought to the table in that process is your sin, and just in case, right, you think, well, hey, at least I brought something to the table, right? Um, grace means, you know what grace means? Grace means you couldn't even do that without God. You got nothing. How's that for the most encouraging message to kick off the fall? You got nothing. You know that song, Rock of Ages, that we sing at times, the lyric says, nothing in my hand I bring Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Nothing. Naked. Helpless. This is the good news. This is the good news. If you receive and believe these words by Paul, who is called, who is commissioned by God, through Jesus, you will be delivered from the present evil age through the grace and peace with God through Jesus Christ. Christ. So before we even move on, let me just pause, because it's good to pause. It's good to just not keep, keep talking so fast and to try to get through the text like is my typical scenario, right? But let's pause and let's ask ourselves this question. Let me ask you this question. Will you believe these words? Because there are people sitting here who have not received this gospel. Will you receive, will you believe the authentic gospel? Will you believe those words? I think I jumped ahead here because in verse 3 it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who did what? Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever will you believe these words will you receive this truth will this be the moment where everything in your heart and your life is changed and reversed and rearranged and the burdens that you're carrying because either you didn't embrace the gospel or you embraced a gospel that had so many additives to it It had no relationship to the true gospel at all. Because Paul delivers a warning here, and he delivers two warnings. And this is what we're going to look at for the rest of our time. He delivers two warnings for, number one, those deserting the gospel, and two, those distorting the gospel. So we're going to spend some time in this warning picking up at verse 6. I'm going to read this again because I shouldn't have read it before, but I'm going to read it again. It says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you, he says, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So the first thing he does, he deals with those deserting the gospel. Now, when we think of desertion, what we like to think of is we kind of think of the military, right? We think of somebody abandoning their post with no intention of returning. They've been deserters, Right? So in Paul's other letters to churches, what happens is, like we mentioned before, he usually starts out a little warmer than this. He usually begins by telling churches how thankful and encouraged he is by their sanctification in the gospel. Well, not here. He begins by saying he's astonished. In other words, he's in a state of wonder. In other words, Paul is saying, are you kidding me? He's saying, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting God for some men coming in with a Jesus plus something gospel. Now notice what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say they're deserting him. They weren't deserting Paul. In fact, what he's saying, and this is where it gets really real, he's saying that they're in fact deserting God. Well, how do you desert God? Well, he says it. By turning to a different gospel. But Paul qualifies The word gospel. He's like, look, I use the word gospel, but it's not another gospel you are actually turning to because there is no other gospel than the one you've received from me. It's an inauthentic gospel. So Paul is redefining the terms right here. He's pointing out that when we desert the authentic gospel, when in fact we're we're deserting God because it's synonymous Because the gospel is not a loan, okay? The gospel is a gift. If somebody gives you a gift but comes back asking for payment, it's a loan. It's a loan. It wasn't a gift. You were wrong. You've been tricked. There's strings attached. And inauthentic gospels always come with strings attached. Always come with strings attached, which is this. This is the string that's dangling. It's to keep what you've been given, you need to earn your keep. That's what an inauthentic gospel preaches to us. Jesus says, when it comes to your salvation, your work is worthless. Oh my goodness. Your work is worthless. The reason that's good news is because guilt and shame and condemnation is what work feeds you for dinner every night. Jesus took all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your condemnation on himself on the cross so that it would have come off you. This is why Paul right here isn't super sweet on those who distort the gospel. This is why you don't hear Paul qualify his feelings and emotions like we do, right? And believe me, his, his opinion of these dudes is gonna get like straight up R-rated later on in, in the book so first paul addresses those deserting the gospel and he says look you're deserting the gospel not for another gospel because there's only one gospel but then he addresses those that are distorting the gospel and this is what he says in verse eight he says but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you let him be accursed let him be damned is what he's saying and Then he says in nine he just repeats himself right He says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So what is distortion? What do you think about when you think about distortion? The actual definition of it is it's the act of twisting out of shape or making inaccurate. Some things I think about when I think of distortion It's like when we have those crazy rainstorms, right? And you're on the highway and it's so thick that literally you're driving like five miles an hour and you can't see five feet in front of you. And I'm looking at these people that pull off to the side. I'm like, I don't know why I can't do that. You know, I should just stop because rainstorms here last about 24 seconds, but I just keep driving, not being able to see anything. There's actually all the stuff that's normally there like in the world all the landscape all the things that have been built all the roads all the houses all the people it's still there like just cuz it's raining it hasn't vanished it's just been distorted right sometimes musicians like to distort their instruments if you're a musician you know what that's like you've 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 gotten a distortion pedal for your guitar right because you don't want it just to be clean You want to cloud the signal. You want to clog the signal. You want to to have a particular sound where people are going to hear something different than it would otherwise be. We were with uh, the McArdles recently, and Seth has this pair of like polarized, these glasses with polarized lenses. And I was like, dude, let me try those things on, man. And I put those things on, and I'm telling you it was like I've been blind my whole life. I put these things on, I'm looking at my wife going, I didn't even know you looked like that. Like (laughs) Like, this is insane. I feel like I can see now. Like, I don't need a prescription. I just need those. I just need Oakley's. Like, that's all I need, right? Because nothing was being distorted by my scratch-to-death, you know, uh, Ray-Bans, right? That's distortion. Satan introduced distortion in the garden when he came to Adam and Eve. He said, I know what you're seeing But it's not really like that. He said, did God really say? What Satan did in that moment was he added an element of distortion to what Eve thought about God. Paul is like, some of you, some are troubling you by distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, you know what? Here's my message to them and for you about them. They can't be tolerated. That's what he's saying. Paul includes himself in that list. He says, if me or an angel of heaven preaches to you a contrary gospel, false gospels and false gospel preachers cannot be tolerated, which is hard for us to get our head wrapped around in an age when we are afraid. We're afraid of condemning someone's, maybe their faith tradition, even when it's deviated from the clear teaching of Scripture. But Scripture never gets shy about that. And let's just be honest, there's a way to communicate those things graciously as well but what we never see in scripture is trying to ignore these things so paul isn't ignoring in fact we read in second peter 2 1 it says but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction And then in Jude chapter 1, 2 through 4, it says, Beloved, this is Jude writing, he says, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing you to do this, to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. He says, kind of like Paul here, he says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who do what? Well, he says it right here who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So this is not something new. This is what happens. This is what happens to gospel-preaching churches. There's always a threat of wolves coming in and distorting the gospel, preaching a contrary gospel. Paul takes it a step further and says, look, even if an angel from heaven preaches a contrary gospel, let him be accursed, rejected, rejected, and damned. It's like, Paul, I just wish you'd be a little more straight up occasionally. I wish you'd just speak your mind a little bit, uh, Apostle Paul. But an angel is something beautiful, right? I mean, an angel, right? I mean, an angel's on the same team, right? I mean, this is an angel. All those, all those authors in Christian bookstores are angels, aren't they? They're angels. All these pastors on social media are angels, aren't they? They're part of the team, until we realize what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 11 when he says, yeah, but even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So you know what this leads us to understanding, which the Galatians uh, were not understanding, is that we need to be discerning with angels, as discerning with angels as we are with far less important things. And you guys do it all the time with far less important things, right? If mold is growing in your walls, what do you do? You tear down the walls. If the supports under your house are rotting, you see that. You replace them. If the tires on your car are showing threads, you buy new tires. Unless you're mean, you try to ride it out another 10,000, right? There is a seriousness here. John Piper makes this comment. He says, false gospels deserve true fury. That's epic. That's big what he says right there. There is eternal destiny hanging in the balance. If there's only one gospel that saves, then counterfeit gospels are the roads that lead to hell. And we shouldn't be so easily fooled. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Because Paul gives us some real help for this. Ephesians 3 verses 11. I'm going to read, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, this is Paul writing, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through spirit in your inner being. Do you see the encouragement there that Paul is giving the church of Ephesus? Do you see what he's telling them there? that they may be strengthened with the power through His Spirit in their inner being. There are ways for us to guard against deserting the gospel and to guard against those who are distorting the gospel. What's so interesting is that I was was doing the dishes last night, and I was trying to think in what ways do we desert the authentic gospel. Some of you guys are like, great, now my wife's going to be like, why... Can't you do the dishes like Pastor R? That's what you're thinking right now. To which I say, don't worry, I don't mow the lawn. Um, What's interesting, though, is that the Galatians were were deserting the gospel by adding circumcision to it, as we'll see later. It was the Jesus plus something gospel. And I thought about, well, what was really happening? What was really happening was that the Galatians were looking at the Jews, right? Right? And they had received the authentic gospel, but they were also seeing something else that they thought may be something that could complete them a little bit more. They weren't happy just being in the place of grace and peace, which is the gospel that Paul gave them. There was something else that they wanted to adopt into their lives so that they could feel like they had a little more standing with God in. But if you look back at verse 3, what do you see? Well, you see the words grace and peace. And again, grace is this it's, it's unearned favor by God, and peace is the standing that we enjoy with God. So follow me here. If that's true, then in what ways do we live in the absence of grace? And these are the, the final two questions we're going to answer. In what ways do we live in the absence of grace, and how does living in the absence of grace lead to deserting the gospel itself number one how do we live in the absence of grace well here's my summary statement by embracing adopting and believing any doctrine person object or idea that threatens to replace or add to the good news of the gospel which is jesus plus nothing equals everything okay so what's our version of this then What's our version of this in 2018? I don't think many of us are struggling with whether we've been circumcised or not, okay? What I think it is, is I think it's the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel. Look, man, I'm not talking about all those people who love Joel Osteen, right? Who, by the way, has a new book out that you should not read, okay? I'm talking about those of us who love, listen to me, I got just a few minutes, I'm talking about those of us who love and pursue the prosperity that Joel preaches. Okay? In his book, Christless Christianity, this is what Michael Horton says. He says, where everything is measured by our happiness rather than by God's holiness, the sense of our being sinners becomes secondary if not offensive. So here's some examples. When we work four jobs we don't need because the gospel is not enough security for us, all right? When we sign junior up for three travel league sports because that's more important for their future than gospel community on Sunday. When we organize our lives and the lives of our families to create the greatest experiences at the expense of all other things. Those are just some examples. I said the air just sucked out of the room when I said that? Is it offensive to you to think that these good American family-oriented things might be offensive to God? Whenever we add something to Jesus as our greater grace and peace, Jesus gets subtracted completely out of the equation. Number two, how does that lead then to us deserting the authentic gospel? Well, it's because, it's because God's grace is what takes our pride and kills it dead and redeems our security. It's by God's grace that we come to trust and rely on God, but our flesh is averse to trusting and relying on God. So when something comes along that says, hey, do this, to get this, to go there, to feel this, to experience that, we get all giddy. We get all giddy inside. We get all giddy because we like our work to give us worth. We like our heavy lifting to bring us happiness. So then, what's our defense? What's our defense against Jesus plus something? Gospels. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, this is Paul speaking again, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, he says, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the 12. So what's our defense? Holding fast to the word preached to you. And is someone troubling you with a no gospel at all gospel? Is someone troubling you? Is that someone you? You? The defense is this, be so familiar with the word preached to you that when a contrary gospel is preached to you by yourself or someone else, the truth in you, the spirit living inside of you will kill it dead. Jesus said in John 14, 26, he said, look, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. What he's saying there is that when something false comes along, the Spirit will speak to you the words that you read, the words that I've given to you through preachers, and he will set a radar off in your heart saying, nope, not good, not good. So as we close, let me say this. It's no accident that some of you have faced massive challenges since getting involved in this church body. I know many of you that have. Massive challenges. Why? Why have you? Why did you not face massive challenges until you stepped in here? Well, because God is using gospel preachers, gospel preaching, and gospel community to conform you to a gospel, listen, that your flesh is warring against. That's what's happening. And the book of Galatians for us is a corrective. And we need correcting. This too is a grace. This too is a grace. Now look, I don't simply want to end with a warning. I want to end with worship. We can call out distorted, contrary, and inauthentic gospels, and we should. But I want us to walk away fixated on the authentic gospel since a distorted contrary and inauthentic gospel exists you know what that means it means there's a clear true and authentic gospel that exists and it's one to be embraced and cherished and savored and held fast to and enjoyed it's a gospel that irrevocably changes the desires of your heart the thoughts and intentions of your mind And the gladness of your soul. It's a gospel that brings you home. And it conforms you to the image of Jesus. Who loves you and desires to delight and rule over you as your risen king. Dude, what good news this is if you've been deserting the gospel for a distorted one. What good news that you can return to the grace and peace of the risen Christ And the authentic gospel. This is the good news. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we're reminded once again and we're given such clarity about the grace of Christ and the peace we have with God when we embrace the gospel that's been preached to us. God, I pray if we're in a place where we have been deserting the real gospel, if we're finding ourselves conforming to other things that are adding to the worth that we've been given only in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would surface those things in our heart so that we would be a church that repents and renounces those kinds of ways. Lord, so that we're not hanging on to all of these elemental things of the world that the world cherishes and loves and looks to for their comfort and their savior. Lord, don't let us be fooled into those things because they appear to us as angels of light. They're alluring. They're appealing. They represent something that our flesh is drawn to. So God, we need your help. We need your spirit to Teach us and to bring to remembrance all of those things. So, God, I pray that we're encouraged this morning. I pray that we're encouraged by the hard words of Paul, that they would produce soft hearts for us. Lord, that we'd be able to stand and worship you and be thankful, Lord, for the true gospel that has been given, that is available for us if we just repent. If we just turn from our sins, if we just embrace the work of Christ, Lord, give us peace this morning. As you've continued to teach us all things, you continue to remind us of the beauty and the delight that exists, Lord, only in you, only when our desires are conformed to your desires. Lord, it's a process. And we thank you that you don't give up on us because we've had really bad weeks, we've had really bad months, or we've had really bad years. Lord, thank you, you're a gracious God. I pray that you would humble us this morning, you would give us a joy as we stand and we sing and we affirm, Lord, that we believe in you, that we believe this gospel. Strengthen our hearts, Lord, in our weakness. Let us be an encouragement to others this morning, we pray in Christ's name. And together we said... Amen.